Thank you all for joining us here at I-80 Sports, where today the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs is now officially done, and now we're already knee-deep in the conference finals. Today, we are going to preview and predict the Eastern Conference Final and the Western Conference Final for the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs in 2023. Guys, thank you guys so much for joining us here at I-80 Sports. Thank you all for joining us here again at IED Sports. Make sure that you subscribe down below, youtube.com slash IED Sports, and comment down below with what you think of the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals, respectively. Join the conversation down below. We might even join the conversation with you. We want to know your thoughts. What were your thoughts on the second round? What are your thoughts on the NHL playoffs in general? Because to me, it has just been bananas. While you're there, drop a like. Hit the bell notification while you subscribe so that way you know when we go live. Once we hit the Stanley Cup Finals, we are certainly going to be coming to you live with some live reactions to the Stanley Cup Finals as they come. You don't want to miss that. The only way you don't miss that, subscribe down below, youtube.com slash Sports, or make sure you stream us wherever you like to stream your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to stream. Make sure you join us there. If you're on Twitter, make sure you follow us down below at I80 underscore sports NHL. And if you follow us already, thank you guys so much because we greatly value all of your support. I'm Brian. He's Tom. Tom, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. And here we are to um, uh, preview the conference finals. Um, I'm going to preface it with this. I, I, I hate these matchups. I hate, <laughs> I hate three of these four teams left. This I'm, I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. You ask me what this is. It's terrible. I don't like this. I don't like these matchups. The playoffs so far have been a S H I, you know, what show since the first round. I don't like these matchups. Three of these teams. I really don't like one of them. I have no, pro- I don't really have much of a problem with. And I actually kind of like how they're built, but sorry, in comparison to the final fours in the past years, and I know it's a little different now because we had the uh, different playoff format two years ago with the COVID and the like, it's it's not good. I'm sorry. It's not good. It's the worst that it's been since maybe 03. And the only reason it was so bad in 03 is you had the boring plotting Ducks against the boring plotting Wild, but at least Minnesota people followed the team and sold the building out to watch them play. And at least in the East, yeah, obviously it was the Devils who, you know, were, I'm not going to say they were bad. They were a team that was had a good regular season and were un, were fortunate enough to get themselves some good matchups those playoffs. And, well, then you had Ottawa. It's a Canadian team. It's a Canadian team. It was a newer Canadian team, but still a Canadian team nonetheless who had some decent players like Daniel Alfredson and Marion Hosa way back when. But this, this just, if you go market-wise, is terrible. It's terrible, and I, I'm not going to say anything more. But let's just get right to it. Well, as a with all these uh, Southern team matchups, all I will say in maybe a response to the Southern boys might be listening to you right now. Bless your heart. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It sounds like to you that you think that these matchups are SHI broken hockey sticks, if you, you know what I'm talking right now. With the but, show after it. <clears throat> but you know what? Damn it. It's still the Eastern Conference Final. It's still the Western Conference Final. They're going to be awesome matchups we're already one game into each and i have not been disappointed so far quadruple overtime for the florida and carolina series to start the series and overtime yesterday for vegas and dallas and away we go here before we start with our prediction here for the eastern conference final and the western conference final we have to look back on the second round and reflect on what happened in the second round so tom give us a rundown on what happened in the second round who came out on top and how Okay, well, in the second round of the playoffs, our first matchup for, I guess, the Atlantic Division Finals or the second round, however you want to call it. I think you just call it the second round now with the brackets. You had the Florida Panthers upsetting the Toronto Maple Leafs four games to one. In the second matchup of the second round, the Metro Division Finals, if you really want to call it that, however you want to put it, you had the Carolina Hurricanes defeating your New Jersey Devils in five. Out West. 
in the Central Division Finals or the first matchup, however you want to call it, whatever you like. I don't really care. Whatever you seem to want to term it as. Um, you had the Dallas Stars defeating the surprising Seattle Kraken in seven games. In seven games. We'll talk about Seattle in a little bit. And the final matchup, the Pacific Division Finals or the second second round Western Conference matchup, like I said, however you want to term it. We you had the Vegas Golden Knights defeating the Edmonton Oilers four games to two. Pretty fun second round, if you ask me. I mean, really, the only disappointing series to me uh, was the Devils and Carolina series, just simply because every game was a blowout. There was really no suspense in that series. Uh, and we'll get to my thoughts on that series a little bit deeper in just a little bit. But before we talk about any kind of negatives or really just trash any teams or really kind of like dog any teams for their efforts, let's talk positively first. Let's talk about, you know, thinking positive thoughts from the second round. What were uh, some positive things that you could take away from the second round? I'll start with you here, Tom. Uh, who was playing, playing some good hockey and just doing overall good hockey things in the second round? Well, they didn't win, but I got to tip my cap to the Seattle Kraken. I mean, I know I was very hard on Vegas years ago when they came in as an expansion team and had all everything seemingly go their way. Um, Seattle's a little bit of a different story. They had your typical expansion year last year. But, um, I, you know, I do got to give it to Seattle. I never in a million years would thought they would beat the defending Stanley Cup champions Colorado Avalanche in seven games. And then in the next series, go seven with the Dallas Stars after basically being a Typical expansion team one year ago. They're a team that relied a lot on a great goalie and a score-by-committee approach. This is proven in the past, and you can run down a list of teams who have done that, that it can work. Obviously, it works in varying degrees. Some teams go on runs to the finals. Some teams win the Stanley Cup doing that. Some teams only uh, get out of the first, get a first-round upset out, and then either flame out in the second round or do what Seattle did. They go, they go the distance in the second round. They have a lot to build on. You know, they have some good players there in Matty Beneers. You know, Matty Beneers was great for them. They have Shane Wright kind of still lying in the weeds. But what I'll say about Seattle is this. This was a learning experience for them, yes. But if they want to go further in the future, they can't rely on doing this all the time. For your first year with an inexperienced team that's never played playoff hockey before and didn't have a lot of talent up top, by all means, do what you did. Do what you did. You had to do it to get yourselves through. But don't stick to the plan. Try to build on it. Try to work on having, you know, a, a superstar defenseman. Try to work on getting Beniers and Wright to become those point-per-game top six forwards. Because in the end, in this day and age, in this game, that is ultimately what you need to win. I mean, for me, I mean, I'm going to elaborate here on Seattle uh, and Tom's talking point here because I was thoroughly impressed by Seattle's effort in the first and second round. I know general manager Ron Francis came out a few days ago trying to rally the troops after their loss and say, you know what, it's still not acceptable. We've got to do better than that. And I expect better from you know my guys next year. You know, certainly a good way of motivating your team, but there's still a lot to be proud of for the first and second rounds. I mean, if you break down like this team took each series to the brink. They took Colorado to the brink on game seven, came out on top. They took Dallas to game seven as well. Arguably, Seattle had the most difficult path in the Western Conference to try to make it to the Western Conference final. And although they didn't make it, they still look great in their effort. Uh, their leading scorer in 14 games was Yanni Gord. Uh, 13 points in 14 games. Yanni Gord is very familiar with playoff hockey if we've, of course, followed him from Tampa Bay. And right behind him was Jordan Eberle with 11 points. And yeah, they're lacking depth up top, but they're making the right plays in the draft. And I think it's also going to turn in free agency too of you know trying to really add depth up top for this team. And there's a lot to look forward to in the next few years. You've got Matty Beneers, who had a good showing uh, in the playoffs, seven points in 14 games. That's only going to get better. Um, a waiver acquisition for them this year, Eli Tolvanen, also had a decent showing too. Young as well, to only 23 years old. He's only going to get better. It really still surprised me that 
Nashville gave up so quickly and for nothing on Eli Tolvin. And more on that maybe in the offseason and, you know, when we talk about these teams and kind of predict how next season is going to go for each. But I was thoroughly impressed by the younger guys on this team. And it's only going to get better because Shane Wright could be with the Seattle Kraken as early as next year. So there's a lot to look forward to there. It seems like Seattle, especially trying to build, you know, build the proper building blocks, they're trying to build up top and they're trying to build down the center with Matt Beneers at center with Shane Wright at center as well. It is very similar to how the devils have tried to build their lineup around Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes in a way. And I think if both of these guys can reach their full potential, we could be looking at that same type of one-two punch in the Western Conference like the Devils have in the Eastern Conference. Um, But still a lot to look forward to with uh, Seattle. I think they're going to make some interesting moves this offseason. It's going to be a really, really interesting offseason to monitor for the Seattle Kraken and see what Ron Francis, the general manager, is going to do here. Uh, The other team, of course, that uh, pleasantly surprised me was the Florida Panthers. I, I mean, what more has to be said? about how well the Florida Panthers actually did this year. They beat Boston when nobody had them beating Boston whatsoever. They beat Toronto, which we'll get back to that one in just a second. But man, oh man, oh man, they did really well. Just to recap their scoring, Matt Tuchuk has been playing like a man possessed. 17 points in 13 games. Carter Verhage has also been great as well. 14 points in 13 games. Alexander Barkov, just like usual, fading into the background, 11 points in 13 games. Uh, Other players I wanted to point out from that series that I was actually really, really pleasantly surprised by, Anthony Duclair, 8 points in 12 games thus far. His speed is back in full force. He is a speed demon on the ice and creating opportunities out of nowhere for the Florida Panthers. Uh, Brandon Montour has been their best defenseman by far, 9 points in 13 games as well. Nick Cousins scoring the uh, game-winning goal. I was with a buddy of mine, and uh, he was trying to tell me how terrible Nick Cousins was until he uh, scored the game-winning goal, and, well... I don't think he thinks he's that bad a player anymore. And I can't believe I'm actually saying it, but I actually have to say it. I was actually impressed by the defense of Radko Gudis in the second round. I know for those that are used to listening to me, that's not something I normally say, but I have to give credit where credit is due. Radko Gudis has been looking good coming into a contract year for him where he is likely going to go off as an unrestricted free agent after this year. And I think he's trying to secure a multi-year deal with somebody, whether it's the Florida Panthers or otherwise. So it's going to be really interesting to monitor in the offseason. But we talked about some positives. Let's time. It's time to trash some teams. It's time to talk about who disappointed us. So, Tom, I'm going to start with you here. Who disappointed you? Um, well, you mentioned Florida and how good they were, and hats off to them. And I, it's understandable that the last series against Boston was an upset, and I get that. But I can't do that with Florida just because – I have to acknowledge how bad the Leafs were. Oh, my God, they were bad. They were bad. In the last round, you can legitimately say it was an upset because it went seven. Boston had them down three to one. The Leafs here were just downright terrible. They really didn't have any business losing that series. In all aspects on paper, they were better than Florida, except for the goaltending. I will give that to Florida. They had the chance to take control. Obviously, they lost the first game, and that will happen from time to time. They had a 2-0 lead in game two, blew it. 2-1 lead in game three, blew it. Could have won it in overtime, blew it. They win those games. They go back up to Toronto, up 3-1. to They didn't do it. If there was ever a year for them where the cards lined up, where they could have just ran through whoever was left and go bring that first Stanley Cup championship since 1967 to Toronto, this was it. This was it. And the so-called big four on this team disappeared in this series against Florida. I'm sorry. I, You know what? And I'm not even going to say they all disappeared. I'm going to take back what I just said. But your top two players who you rely on the most were the ones who didn't get the job done. John Tavares, one assist in five games, minus two. Austin Matthews, two assists in five games, minus one. William Nylander, two goals, one assist, three points in five games, minus two. Okay, it's respectable. Mitch Marner, one goal, two assists, three points in five games, minus two. 
respectable. For all I said about the Leafs never having that number one defenseman, Morgan Riley really proved me wrong for them this playoffs. I guess that's a plus. But the fact of the matter is this. The Leafs have been trying and trying and trying. And you can you 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 can talk about the Leafs and you can trash the Leafs and you can say this, that, and the other thing about the Leafs. The Leafs from 1967 until maybe when they drafted Austin Matthews either flat out didn't care how the, the ownership either flat out didn't care how the team did because they were filling Maple Leaf Gardens every night up until 1998. Or what they would try to do is try to put a Band-Aid on a problem. You look at the Leafs in the 90s and the 2000s. How many times did they trade Wendell Clark away and brought him back? Doug Gilmore, same thing. Guys like Dave Anderchuk and Glenn Anderson in the 90s, yes. Those not 93 team was similar to this team, except that team didn't have a number one defenseman. They had the forwards and the goaltending. Then you go into the late 90s, those Sundin and Mogilny and Roberts teams. Good teams, but then, then what do you do all the time? You had old goaltending, whether it was Curtis Joseph or Eddie Belfour. And then you go in, and I remember that 4 team. You had Joe Newendike, Ron Francis, Brian Leach, all these guys on the wrong side of 35. All on the wrong side of 35. That team would have been around in 1994 or even 1999. They would have destroyed everybody else. I'll give it to the Leafs this time. They at least tried to do it the right way. They tried to build them, build through the draft and be smart with the free agent signings, which they were with John Tavares, you know, and still couldn't get it done. They still couldn't get it done. You know, this time at least management tried. But as we've seen, when you can't get it done in the past, there was always a team like the Boston Bruins there who were legitimately better than them. The past two years, the Leafs have had favorable matchups in, the, in their playoff series and couldn't get it done. Past three years, actually, four years. We go back 2020. And obviously, they've had enough. Kyle Dubas is gone, relieved of his duties. Potentially this summer, we're going to see either William Nylander or Mitch Marner moved as well. They're going to try to maybe bring in, as good as Morgan Riley is, either try to bring in a, a legit number one goaltender or another or a legit number one defenseman. One of the two. I don't know. But as we have seen, the era of doing it this way in Toronto is over after this, after blowing a legitimate chance to go out and finally break the drought. I know you're going to hate me for this next one, but to a lesser extent, and this is just me as a pissed off Ranger fan right now, because the path that the Rangers were on was the path that the Leafs were on was the path that the Bruins were on. If they could have gotten themselves out of what they out of the situation they were in, they probably could have went on a run. With the Rangers, it's like 71 and 92. I've spoken about this a million times. I won't go into it again. The Devils, I give them the credit. I get I, I give credit where credit's due. In the series against the Rangers, Akira Schmidt looked like the, looked like a wall. They looked like a legit team, a team that relied on speed. Obviously, Jack Hughes, Nico Heeshear, and Timo Meyer. Hughes was good. Heeshear and Meyer were Meyer was not good. Heeshear was okay. But they were looked at as this is a legitimate next team. Watch this team go on a run. Watch them, watch them pull it off. Watch them win the cup or at least go to the finals. Or at the very least, like the Rangers did last year, go to Eastern Conference Finals. But what we saw in games one and two against the Rangers and four of the five games in the Carolina series was the Devils, they're a speed team. They have good forwards. They have a good forward like Jack Hughes. You have Timo. You have all these guys. I just mentioned them. I don't need to mention them again. But what we learned here is with those Devils, and I know it's their first year in the playoffs, that if you take the speed away from them, you play a disciplined game, you play responsible in all three zones on the ice, it becomes very difficult for the Devils to be successful. It does. And for all the love Akira Schmidt got for being a brick wall against the Rangers, he was pulled in game six against the Rangers and was pulled twice in this series against the Canes. Twice. So maybe just maybe it shows that the Devils are good, but they are beatable. And as a Ranger fan, maybe it says in my mind that the Rangers just beat themselves by getting away from a disciplined game after the first two. And the Carolina series, though, I watched how the Canes played, watched a little bit of it. Really had me really had me going, wow. All you had to do was take space away from these guys. So, I, I mean, to a lesser extent, it was a disappointment because you figured, you know, with the names the Rangers had, they weren't anywhere near what Carolina had. But Carolina just executed a game plan that the Rangers executed and beat them in five. All the win, three of those four wins that the Canes had were blowouts. All of which in turn took space away from the Devils, didn't let them play their game. So 
I will give it. I I, I got to say that about the Devils. A lot of people were saying they're going to be like the Canes or the Pens when they had Crosby early on, but I got to say that about the Devils. They 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 were figured out. They were figured out. See, for me, I'm going to work my way backwards on this one in terms of my thoughts because I have one team in my mind that's really the most disappointing. But for the Devils, I refuse to be disappointed by the result. They got beat by the better team this time around, and Carolina is farther along in their development right now than the Devils are. The Devils are basically at Carolina's point from like about three or four years ago. Uh, when those younger pieces were really coming along and they weren't quite there yet. And I think the devil's in time. I think they're going to get there. They're going to get there in the next year or two and really be a force to be reckoned with. And it was a humble, it was a proper humbling experience for them, but you still had contributors on this team. I'm going to disagree with your take on Timo Meyer uh, for this series. I don't think he was disappointing at all. And what came out was he was, he played that entire series with a broken nose and he had a lot of trouble getting used to the fishbowl uh, trying to play. The one that I was really disappointed by, and a lot of Devils fans seem to be disappointed at the moment, is Jesper Bratt. He really disappeared in not only the Kane series, but he disappeared in the Ranger series too. He was figured out hard, and it's going to make negotiations for him as an RFA this upcoming offseason really, really difficult for him. And the Devils do have some interesting decisions to make up ahead with their current UFAs and RFAs. You know, you've got a couple key UFAs at the end of this season. Timo Meyer being one of them, who I think the Devils are prioritizing trying to re-sign. Uh, Ryan Graves, who could be gone with the emergence of Luke Hughes. Damon Severson, where who knows what's going to end up happening with him. He could end up going elsewhere. He could end up staying anything's possible at this point uh and then you also have a couple of rfas that you got to figure out as well mackenzie blackwood i think is as good as gone at this point maybe he gets dealt on draft day and you get some kind of draft capital for him and uh michael mcleod is almost certainly going to get re-signed after a stellar showing in the playoffs as well but one thing is for certain to me with all the uncertainty going into the offseason of what the devils could do maybe kind of make a splashy move uh there's been rumors linking Connor Hellebuck possibly as a trade destination for the Devils. I don't know if I see that unless they make a ballsy move. I don't know if I see that. I don't know if I'd like to see that. And also, General Manager Tom Fitzgerald has come out and said that even though they've traded away their first-round pick for Timo Meyer this year, that doesn't mean that he's not interested in trading back into the first round in a very deep first-round draft this year. One thing is for certain. The Devils are here to stay at this point. They have cemented themselves near the top of the Metropolitan Division for the next couple, if not many years to come with this young lineup. So it's going to be really exciting to watch the competition grow between the Devils and the Rangers, the Devils and the Canes, the Rangers and the Canes, you know, and just really watch, you know, the these top three teams just duke it out year in and year out. It's going to be good competitive hockey. I could beat Toronto with a dead horse, but I don't know how worth it it is. You know, they made the right move after the series. Kyle Dubas, their general manager, has been relieved of his uh, active duty as a general manager. So they're going to be in the general manager hunt. And I think that also is going to be very telling for how this lineup for Toronto is about to evolve too. We could see one of the bigger names be moved. I think it's highly unlikely that you see Austin Matthews be moved. I just don't see that as a realistic possibility. I think it would be really difficult for me to see Mitch Marner possibly move, but weirder things have happened. I think that could be a really interesting name to move. The most common name that keeps being floated around that's the easiest to move is Willie Nylander. And yeah, he does seem like the easy one, but I guess the question becomes, is he the guy that you think that you can get the most out of if you really want to get over this hump and unfortunately i think the guy that maybe toronto should really think about in terms of a massive return to really get them over the hump is maybe seeing if they could deal mitch marner and i know that's going to hurt for a lot of toronto fans it hurts for them to hear that but realistically what did he contribute in the playoffs this year what did he contribute last year what did he contribute the year before that 
you got to break up the boys club. And sometimes that's really difficult to do, but you don't want this toxic culture breathing in your locker room if you can avoid it. And it does seem like you have kind of built and established a boys club. And if you really want to get the most out of this Toronto lineup before Austin Matthews potentially leaves Toronto for greater pastures, you've got to do something soon to try to make this team more competitive. And sometimes you have to trade off one of your greatest assets to get better assets in return and get necessities in return. Morgan Riley cannot handle the defense by himself. Ilya Samsonov was a perfectly fine upgrade in net this season. Is he sustainable though? Will his progression continue? You only hope so, but this team needs a couple things right now. Michael Bunting is also, I believe, a UFA after this year as well, and he could be walking too. So... Toronto's going to have a really interesting offseason. And if I'm uh, if I'm Toronto fans right now, I'd wear a hard hat because it's going to be a bumpy, bumpy ride. To me, the most disappointing team to me, and I know some people are going to disagree with me here, but I don't care, the Edmonton Oilers. I really was thoroughly underwhelmed by the effort that the Oilers put forward. You know, this is a team losing to the Vegas Golden Knights that sh- that had no business losing to them in the first place. And what really lost it for them was lack lack of depth in the bottom six and goaltending. You know, because I'm looking at the stats right now. Yeah, it's great. They have Connor McDavid, 20 points in 12 games. They have Leon Dreisettle, 13 goals in 12 games, 18 points in those 12 games. You had a fantastic defenseman in Evan Bouchard uh, with an, with 13 helpers in 12 games as well with 17 points. Zach Hyman showed up to play for the most part, 11 points in those games. Ryan Nugent Hopkins picking up 10 helpers, but only 11 points. So only scoring one goal in this endeavor uh, in the playoffs. Matias Ekholm was also pretty decent with seven points in 12 games as well. Just a good stay-at-home defenseman there. The rest is just dog water, though, like to me. Evander Kane, not enough from him. Uh, five points in 12 games. Clem Costin, sure, five points in 12 games for him. That's perfectly fine. I'm not going to dog that. Ryan McLeod, five assists in 12 games. Kaylor Yamamoto, I think he's still nursing an injury of some kind because only four points in 12 games is kind of rough. Darnell Nurse, four points in 11 games as well. I'm sorry, you're paying him the most money as your defenseman and he's only mustering up four points. And he was also a negative two. That's hmm, questionable. And the rest, you had guys with three points or less. You need more from your bottom six. You need more contribution. And it's really tough because Edmonton has basically handcuffed themselves in their cap with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, which you had to do. They're the two best players in the NHL. But you got to make some decisions now. You got to see if you can, you know, open up some cap space and get something. Stuart Skinner tried his best in the playoffs this year, but I mean, an 883 save percentage and a 3.68 goals against in 12 games isn't going to cut it if you're going to try to reach the Western Conference final. The guy who they opened up their wallets to uh, in the offseason this past season, and Jack Campbell, I, I hope he figures it out. I really hope that he gets the voices out of his head in the off season has a good start to the regular season next year. And we don't have to talk about how much of a waste of money Edmonton overpaid for Jack Campbell to just ride the pine. Disappointing on all endeavors here for Edmonton. If you're Connor McDavid, you're probably frustrated as hell at this point. You're 26 years old. You're a guy that probably should have won a cup by this point And you haven't. And with how, ta- with how talented their top six is, it's embarrassing that they can't make it past Vegas. And I thought that Edmonton was a better team than Vegas, honestly. It's difficult. It's really, really difficult to see. Lastly, shame on ESPN for not moving Sunday Night Baseball when you had Connor McDavid, the best player since Wayne Gretzky, playing in a do-or-die game seven. And ESPN didn't want to move Sunday Night Baseball. So what did they actually, decide? Uh, it was game six, actually. Game six, my bad. It was still do or die for Connor McDavid, but no, like, I oh. know. And if the Leafs didn't screw it up, that their game six would have been that night. But I, I don't remember if it would have been on TNT or ESPN. I, I don't remember. But Even still, a ten, a ten o'clock game at that point. I'm kind of echo, echoing Ryan Whitney from uh, Spitting Chicklets right now, but like, 
a 10 o'clock game on the East Coast, like, yeah, the East Coast isn't be all end all, but like realistically, you had an NBA playoff game at 3:30 in the afternoon on the East Coast. You had this wide seven, like six and a half hour gap between these games. You couldn't have moved something to at least try to get this into the primetime slot. It's it's a bad showing by ESPN. It's a bad showing by Bettman here. I hope it improves uh, as we go across the Eastern Conference Final and the Western Conference I Final. Mean, which- I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all with ESPN. I'm not surprised at all with what they're doing. It, 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 it's between that, between that, and PK Subban acting like a complete idiot. It, it's it's uh, enough is enough. I mean, I, listen. I know he was a devil and all, and I never. I really didn't even want to bring this up, but now that you got me there, I'm sorry. And, and this may be the Ranger fan in me. The way he acted. During the intermissions of Game Three on that Saturday night, on that Saturday night primetime game, was effing unacceptable. I'm sorry. I mean, you have Mark Messier there too, who has done a lot of stuff off the ice that has pissed me off. And even though I'm a Ranger fan, even Messier sat there and was impartial. I'm sorry. I mean, I get that ESPN wants to be the storyteller in the TMZ, but the way he's acting is over the top. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, don't get me wrong. Bissonette drives me nuts too on TNT, but at least he keeps it down a notch. You know, they sit there and joke with each other, but you get to a point where you see PK doing his stupid dance moves. I mean, you look at Mark Messi and Chris Chellers, it's like they want to get up and grab the guy by the throat and throw him through a wall. I get having fun, and I'm not going to be, I'm not about to be the fun police whatsoever. I kind of like the youth that he kind of brings to the booth. What's not okay is fat shaming. Like that to me is not acceptable. It's not even that. It's not even that. I'm just going to say game three and I'm a Ranger fan and I'm not trying to be biased. When he's sitting there with a devil's jacket on chanting, let's go devils into the camera on a primetime broadcast where you're supposed to be impartial for a guy who never won anything on the devils and never even played a playoff game. Where you have Mark Messier next to him, and but I'm taking Messier's side, and I usually I, I trash him a lot too, and don't get me wrong. Messier, who won a Stanley Cup in New York, went to an Eastern Conference final with the Rangers and is sitting there with a are you effing kidding me look on his face. To be fair though, yeah. on to be a devil's advocate, pun intended, almost every commentator, whether it was in the booth or in play-by-play and color commentary, could not like unless they were talking about Jack Hughes could not find any positive comments about the devils throughout the entire series. Like really struggled to like say anything. Paul Bizonette was so biased towards the Rangers throughout that whole series. He was was almost like morphing into Sam Rosen in front of me. I understand. I understand positive comments. I get where you're coming at, but positive comments and openly rooting on the air are two totally different things. Yeah, I guess, but like, look, PK is still going to be green in the booth at the moment. And believe it's, me, this is going to be what it's going to be. Yeah, Bissonette has trashed the Rangers many, many times in the past as well. So, well, Biz is just a troll to begin with, yeah. but you know. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on. It's time to preview the Eastern and Western Conference final. Let's start here on the Eastern side of things: the Florida Panthers versus the Carolina Hurricanes, which we already had a barn burner in Game One quadruple overtime with Matt Tuchuk scoring the game-winning goal with 12 seconds left in quadruple overtime. It's going to be a fun series, but let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Tom, what are you looking forward to in this series? Uh, who's Who are some players to watch, and who do you think comes out on top? I don't like this series at all, like I said before. I don't. <laughs> you have two markets that aren't traditional markets, okay? They're not hockey markets. The Canes lately have been good with the, with the attendance because they've been winning. When the Canes don't win, nobody shows up. When the Panthers win, nobody shows up anyway. I guarantee you that Leaf series, they were still doing day of game sales, ticket windows. I mean, come on. But on to the serious part about it now and away from my opinion. You really look at the teams on paper and, um, uh, you know, the Canes play the ultimate team game mostly because they have to. Obviously, Tara Vinen's back this year. Svechnikov is out. He's not going to play. We know that. Um, the ultimate team game, the Canes do have the better depth. The Canes are a little bit better on D as well. But as we saw, and the ultimate team game that the Canes play, let me, let me before I go on, 
It worked against the Islanders. I mean, and against the Devils. It worked pretty well. But as we've seen in the past, sometimes when you rely on a system entirely, it can get broken by lesser teams with one or two stars up top. And I'm really not trying to trash your Devils today. I'm not. But do you remember the Devils teams between 95 and 2000? Discount 96, that team didn't make playoffs. But the 97 team and the 99 team particularly. Teams that had themselves pretty nice regular season. First in the conference, first in the East, you know, top team in the league. They were, I think, maybe the third best team in the league in 97 behind Colorado and Dallas. They may have done – in 98, they were second best team overall behind Dallas. That 97 and, team had an identity crisis too. You look up and down that lineup and it was like a who's who of like who were like uh, former like good players in the league. Steve Thomas was on that team. Dave Anderchuk was on that team. Doug Gilmore too. Doug Gilmore was on former, that team. Former 93 a young Bill Gar- a, a very young Bill Guerin before he got traded to Dallas was on that team too. Bobby Carpenter was still Edmonton. on that team. Huh? He got traded to Edmonton for Arna, man. That's you should know that. That guy's like a hero. To well, you guys, meaning right? like, and I also still remember like Bill Guerin as like a member of the Dallas Stars. Yeah, so. no, I know he had to stop in Edmonton, and then he had the one year in Boston where he was really good, and then bolted because the Bruins were cheapskates yeah. back then. But anyways, anyways, uh, I digress. Those teams still very much relied on playing the neutral zone trap, you know, relying on defense first. System of interchangeable parts. You, you you know this. You know this. But the thing about those teams were, and I'll admit it, in 97, the Rangers were maybe a lesser team than them. And in 99, Pittsburgh was a lesser team than them. But what didn't work for those teams and why they couldn't get themselves further in the playoffs was basically because those teams had a super, had a superstar or two up top. The Rangers had Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier. Messier was kind of a ghost. But Gretzky went off on the Devils, took the game into his own hands and went off. And I remember in 99 with your Devils too, game six against Pittsburgh. A lot of my Devil fans, I was 11 years old, but I remember a lot of my Devil fan friends getting ready for the second round saying, oh yeah, we got this. Until Yarmir Yager said, no, you don't anymore. So I, I, I think of it like that. Whereas Florida, with the exception of the goaltending, might be a bit of a lesser team. But you look at the one factor that Florida has that Carolina does it, it's somebody who can put the game on his back and take it over if he needs to. And that player is Matthew Kachuk. And you saw what he did against Toronto and you saw what he did against Boston. And it's just got that. It's got that blueprint. It's got like that. It's got that lining up to the same thing happening. The team with the system is favored and has home ice. The team that's a little bit lesser but has a game-breaker forward is not, but could legit upset them. And that's why, as much as it pains me to say this, throw the rats, throw the rats, Florida in six games. Really, really good take, but I think one thing is for certain, this is going to be a tilt. And both teams are hot and have arguments to be made on either side of who goes to the Stanley Cup. Carolina's key to success has been their speed and depth on the wings. One player I want to point out in particular here is Jordan Martinook, who made quick and easy work of the New Jersey Devils, uh, 10 points in that series alone, and he had no points in the series prior. So 10 points in 12 games for him. Seth Jarvis also has 10 points in 12 games as well. He's been playing very, very nicely. And Sebastian Ajo has been their leading scorer as well. Um it would really be nice to see Brent Burns win a Stanley Cup before he rides off into the sunset. And this could honestly be his last realistic shot at doing so. But he has to overcome a hotter than hell Florida Panthers team that refuses to stay down. And in my heart, I desperately want to say Florida is winning this series like they won against Boston, like they won against Toronto. But one statistic gives me pause for great concern for the Florida Panthers time of possession. That is going to potentially be the Achilles heel of the Florida Panthers. Florida has been playing on their heels since the first round. How long can they realistically sustain that without giving up crucial goals? One thing is for uh, for sure. And for certain this series is already fixing to go to distance. And I honestly think it will, but 
if Florida has to keep playing on their heels and they don't up that time of possession, things could go south pretty quickly for them. But Florida is resilient. They might be the most resilient team in the NHL right now. Anything is possible, but until then, I'm going to boldly say Carolina Hurricanes in seven games. I think this properly goes the distance. Let's move on to the Western Conference Final. Moving on from the Eastern Conference Final, the Dallas Stars versus the Vegas Golden Knights. I had it, it was so tough for me to actually rep today. I have no Dallas Stars gear. I've got no Florida Panthers gear that needs to change at some point. And I've got no Carolina Hurricanes gear. The only thing I got is my Vegas t-shirt, which I bought because of a bet from a couple of years ago from IID Sports. Go back and search for that one because I made a bet with myself on that one. Go back and find that video at some point. Uh, but Tom, let's start with you here. Dallas Stars versus Vegas Golden Knights. What are the keys to success for each team? Who do you see coming out on top? Well, I like this matchup a little bit better. Um, as I mentioned before, I really dislike three of these teams. And there's one team that I have no problem with, and it is the Dallas Stars. Um... If you look at if you if you match these teams up on paper, you look at the top six and you look at the forward depth and 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 as good as Jack Eichel's been and I apologize I was wrong about Eichel I said that if Vegas is going to rely on a playoff on, on a zero playoff experience Jack Eichel to go anywhere they're not going to go too far and boy has he proved me wrong he's been great for them these playoffs he has he really has but at the same time Jack Eichel's one player. Up top, Dallas, you got Jason Robertson. You got Joe Pavelski up top. Rupe Hintz. Go through the lineup. On line two, you still have Tyler Sagan. You go further down, Max Domi and Jamie Benn. Up top and the forward depth, I got to give to the Stars. I do. Now, on the back end, I do happen to like Vegas a little bit better. I think Alex Petrangelo is better than anybody they have. I think Shea Theodore as well is better than some player, some personnel that Dallas has. But I am not giving this to Vegas by a landslide. This is by like a like a like an inch. I'm giving Vegas the defensive edge on an inch. Now in net, that's that's an obvious. It's Dallas. It's Dallas without a doubt. So this series, it's not going to be short. It's not going to be short. But as I've just alluded to, I just happen to like the way Dallas is built a little bit more. I think Dallas is built the right way. Dallas is built completely the right way. More so than any team left right now, where you have Carolina relying on a relying on systems, Florida relying on two players in their top six, and I kind of actually like Florida's depth, but I'll digress. Florida wasn't great in the regular season, like Dallas was. Vegas, I kind of like how they're built too, but it's just it's the goaltending that I scratch my head with. I do. So I'm gonna go with Dallas and six here. Crank up Pant, crank up the goal song by Pantera. Dallas and six. <laughs> This is going to be a fun series. And to me, this one shouldn't be too hard for me to peg. Because if you have listened to me all playoffs so far in the past two prediction videos that I've set, said, well, what if I said Dallas is the team to beat? This Dallas team, to me, could be quite special. This may be their last real shot in the next few years to win the cup, and they have the perfect squad to do it right now. On the flip side, we look at the other end of the ice and see a team in the Vegas Golden Knights where this could be their last chance for a while also. So you're going to see both teams play with a lot of desperation here. You know, this is going to be like a desperation type of series because both teams really kind of see the writing on the wall. It's the Western Conference is only getting more com competitive with the LA Kings, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Anaheim's going to be coming up in the next three or four years as well. So, you know, time's ticking for them. Seattle really broke through this year. And Colorado is still very much still around despite losing in the first round. The writing's on the wall. Dallas and Vegas understand how rare an opportunity for this, for both of them, are. Both teams have been here also in the past five years as well. They know what it takes to reach the Stanley Cup Finals. Both teams have been to the Stanley Cup Finals within the past five years of each other. So now, to that I say, let the battle commence. On the forward side of things, it shouldn't really be too hard for me to peg in terms of like who I want to give favoritism towards, but 
It's a little bit of a wash to me. Both are pretty deep on the offensive side. If I were to give an inch, though, I would give it to Dallas just because Rupe Hintz is playing like a man possessed right now. 22 points in 14 games. Jason Robertson is also a point per game right now with 14 points in 14 games. Joe Pavelski has come back from his concussion like a man possessed. 12 points in nine games as well. Jamie Benn and Max Domi also, also both playing very respectable hockey. 11 points in 14 games for both individuals. Tyler Sagan playing really nice hockey well as well. Nine points in 14 games. Evgeny Dodonov, the difference a change of scenery makes. Nine points in 14 games for him. And Miro Heiskanen, I mean, what more can be said? Nine points in 14 games for him. He's the best defenseman on the ice right now for the Dallas Stars. Thomas Harley, I also got to give a shout-out to as well. The rookie defenseman, seven points in 14 games for him. He's also been very, very solid too. Wyatt Johnston, also with the game-winning goal for Dallas uh, to bring them to the Western Conference Final too. Uh, the youngster, 19 years old, six points in 14 games too. Up and down this lineup, I mean, Dallas is deep, 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 deep. Defensively, look, as much as I want to give Dallas the edge here, I give Vegas a little bit of the defensive edge right now. Their defense is very solid with Alex Petrangelo, um, Shea Theodore, Alec Martinez, Braden McNabb, all guys that have been really contributing very nicely here for the Vegas Golden Knights, and I think I give them just a little bit of the edge on defense. But make no mistake, for Dallas, the difference maker here is goaltending, and it's not even close. Jake Ottinger has been really, really, really solid uh, this entire series, and then backing him up is Scott Wedgwood, and Wedgwood is respectable in his own right as well. Uh, but Jake Ottinger, 902 save percentage and a 2.83 goals against average. He's been one of the best goaltenders in the entire NHL playoffs. There's an argument to be, to be made that if Dallas makes it to the Stanley Cup final, there's an argument to be made for Jake Ottinger or Rupe Hintz to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. It's going to be really, really interesting to watch here. This is not going to be a short series whatsoever. This is going to be a fun series to watch. I'm going to agree with Tom here and say Dallas in six. That is my prediction here for the Stanley Cup Finals. But before we get to our question of the day, what do you guys think? Do you agree? Do you disagree with our takes? Let us know in the comments section below who's winning in the Western Conference, who's winning in the Eastern Conference. Let us know. Join the conversation and we'll join back. But now, question of the day time as we wrap up another episode here at IED Sports. And question of the day, I think it should be telegraphed here, but still, what will be this year's Stanley Cup Finals matchup? Tom, bold prediction here. What is our Stanley Cup Finals matchup? Ah, Florida and Dallas. <laughs> you seem so excited by that matchup, Tom. Pretty yeah, clean. considering how happy I, I mean, the last couple I thought were great. This one is not going to be good. Please, I can't take so much enthusiasm at once. You have to back it down a little bit, sir. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm going to say uh, Carolina and Dallas. I think this. I think that actually could shape up to be a really fun series to watch. I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum, although I've yucked quite a few yums in my day. Yeah, I think that would actually be a fun series to watch, whether it's Carolina and Dallas or even Florida and Dallas or even if Vegas somehow makes it out in the Western Conference. At least we know the pregame show in Vegas is going to be magnificent and be like medieval <laughs> times. But, man, all I know is playoff hockey is something else, and I've been having a fun time watching playoff hockey this year. This might be one of the best playoff hockey that I've watched in recent memory uh, from the past couple years for me, at least I know Tom might have difference in opinion here over the past few years, but it's been a if lot of you, fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you took the organizations and the locations away from the teams that were out there and it was just teams going and throwing it, one team throws on a light, one three team throws on a dark and they just play. I'd like it. It's just from the sheer fact of, uh, of, of the teams that are left. I, it's, it's, it's that it's that with me. And, I said it to somebody the other night, and it's not me being biased, but I'm a, 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 a final four of uh, Colorado, Edmonton, Tampa, and the Rangers, I feel like is much more intriguing than what we have here. And even two years ago where you had Tampa Islanders, Montreal, and Vegas, the year before you had Dallas, Vegas, Tampa, and Islanders, and then the year before that where you had St. Louis, San Jose, Boston, and Carolina. I mean, 
you still had some substance with what was going on. And this, you really don't. And it'd be a little bit different if maybe two of these teams were maybe in a traditional market or a team trying to break a curse. It's just, it's, it's, it's when the tough gets going with the exception of Dallas and listen, it hasn't happened with Vegas yet. So we don't know, but especially with Florida and Carolina, when things get tough down there, people stay away in droves and it becomes a destination away game for fans of traditional teams like the Rangers, Chicago, Detroit, Montreal, Toronto, Boston, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, insert team here. And we don't know about Vegas yet. And when things finally do go south in Vegas, whenever that may be, will Vegas turn into a destination away game as well? That's that remains to be seen. But that's that's where that's where I'm drawing the dislike of this. Well, time is gonna tell, and we're just gonna have to see when we eventually get there. All I know is one thing's for certain. Let's stay in the present here and think positively with the Eastern Conference final and the Western Conference final, because so far, game one in both series has been a back-and-forth match, fun to watch. So let's have fun. Let's watch some playoff hockey. It's time for us to stop talking here, and let's watch some playoff hockey. Join the conversation down below, and while you're there, subscribe. YouTube.com slash i80sports, and make sure you hit the bell notifications so that way you guys know when we go live, when we start talking about the Stanley Cup finals. We're going to be going live more than likely before every single matchup to give you our previews and predictions throughout the series. You don't want to miss that. The only way you don't miss that, subscribe down below, hit the bell notification, youtube.com slash IAD sports, or you can stream us on your favorite streaming platforms as well. Spotify, Apple music, wherever you prefer to stream. And if you're on Twitter, make sure you follow us down below at I 80 underscore sports NHL. And if you follow us already, thank you guys so much because we greatly value all of your support. But it's time to move away from our predictions, from our previews, and it's time to watch some playoff hockey and really get this thing over with. We'll see you guys in the Stanley Cup Finals. Until then, I'm Brian. He's Tom. This has been our conference final previews here at IED Sports. Oh,